meaningless. Like everything is meaningless. Isn't that awesome? These verses, they, they, we started with these verses last week, didn't we? As we began to introduce to you the, the book of Ecclesiastes, one of, one of the least preached books. Could you kind of see why it might be one of the least preached books? Now, essentially, these first 11 verses that that recording showed you, they summarize actually the main content of the book of Ecclesiastes. That everything is what I said last week, the Hebrew word for meaningless, that we're translating it as meaningless. Everything is hevel. That, that, that this Hebrew word, hevel, we're saying is meaningless. And it's one of the most important words in this text. It's used over 30 times, close to 40 times actually, throughout the, the narrative. And the meaning behind this is how we find the meaning behind the intent of the teacher. Hevel, in the literal sense, is best interpreted as like smoke or vapor. Essentially, something that is temporary or fleeting, an enigma or a paradox. Life, the teacher says, is hevel under the sun. In other words, life is but a vapor. It's like a smoke. We see it. It's before our eyes, but then it just kind of dissipates. It just sort of disappears before we even realize it. We try to grasp at it. We try to grasp at it, and our, our hand just keeps going through the smoke and catching nothing but air. It passes through the vapor. It disappears Everything the teacher says is like that when it comes to our lives here on earth. So, so with all of that in mind, we then begin to understand that the teacher doesn't actually mean that all of life has no meaning. So you literal folks in scripture, like this book will just take the wind right out of you, right? Because it says like everything's meaningless. So everything just must be meaningless. So let's all just die but that's not actually what the author is teaching us here in this book. He actually would say that life has immense meaning. He'd say that life has a, a great, wonderful meaning if you actually focus on the right things. But the meaning of life is not often what we think it is, what we make it to be. Instead of our true meaning and purpose being wrapped up in God's purposes throughout history, we, we, we see it as something different. And so God, he's, he's going to make history. He's going to make everything right because right now not much is right. Like the teacher said, things are hevel. The teacher in Ecclesiastes says this because he's, he's not just convinced that we as human beings are, tr are truly struggle, essentially, to grasp what God's purpose behind our lives and the universe might be. He says it's bigger than us. And you have to understand that, that, that this life that we know, the universe that we see, it's just bigger than us, and we'll never truly be able to grasp it. It's hevel. Life here on earth as we know it is temporary, fleeting, nothing but a paradox or an enigma 
Hevel. So today we're going to build off of this concept of Hevel. And we're going to dig a little deeper into an important theme that runs through the book of Ecclesiastes. So before we actually start teaching through the actual texts, last week and this week, I need to show you some of the overarching themes so that as Pastor Tamil starts next week in chapter 2, we can begin to grasp what it is that the author is saying here. So this week is really going to help us with the rest of the series. So you have to remember week one and week two, and then listen to the entire book through the contextual lens that we're trying to give you. In chapter two, which Pastor Tamil is going to work on next week, the teacher talks about how he begins his pursuit of happiness by fully immersing himself in the pursuit of pleasure and work. And I think he starts off with those two things on purpose because those are the two things that we tend to seek the most in life. We're trying to find the happiness in life, and then we're also defined completely by our careers. But as we'll see next week, the reality of this pursuit, you ready for this? The reality that he's going to teach us next week is that like Monday comes, it's not always a weekend. Life is not just the weekend. Monday is always going to come. And this theme of seeking happiness in in all kinds of different ways is how the teacher weaves through his argument to lead us toward his conclusion. But there's a distinct shift that happens in his thinking. And this distinct shift is very interesting. And it's that shift that I want to explore today. So we're going to actually be all over the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at seven or eight verses uh, throughout all of the 12 chapters. So this week uh, and last week, these sermons are really important for you to understand the rest of the movement that happens in this book. So in chapter two, the teacher continues with this hevel. That's, That's all hevel, it's hevel. But listen to what he says here. So, so everything is hevel, But then he shifts and he says in chapter 2, verse 24 to 25, he said, So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Now here's the shift. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him. Okay. So this is a really important shift in the text. Everything's hevel, smoke, a vapor that disappears, but then he realizes something. God has given him a gift. The gift of eating drinking, and finding satisfaction in his work. And so the teacher of Ecclesiastes says that these things, when done, listen to me, when done completely connected to the creator, bring us pleasure and joy. Let's jump over to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. We're going to be kind of flying through this. You can watch it later if you want all the references. He says, what do people really get for all their hard work? 
You ever wondered that? What do people get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden that God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. Can I get an amen? All right, you're getting all charismatic. This is great. And people, he says, should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. So so again, we see everything is hevel. Everything's meaningless. And because everything is hevel, everything is meaningless, enjoy life. Find the beauty in it. Because God has done something strange. He's planted eternity into the human heart. We know that there's something bigger than us. A lot of people wouldn't even argue that. that, that lot, most people think that there's something bigger out there. And that's why we keep trying to find joy in life. But life, the teacher says, is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's move on to verse 20 to 22. He says, both go to the same place. He's talking about humans and animals. That's interesting. Both go to the same place. They come from dust and they return to dust. Super positive, right? For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. Listen listen to what he says. This is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. (laughs) Okay, wait. So life is a gift from God, but actually it just leads to death. Like what's happening here? We humans are no different than animals, the teacher's saying. They live and then they die. They come from dust and they return back to dust. And so the teacher says our lot in life is for us to be happy in our work because we're only going to get one shot at this life, so let's make the best of it. Now, this is super interesting. So life is a gift from God, or is it Hevel? Like, like which, which one is it? Doesn't the author just seem confused here? Hevel, 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 enjoy life, but it's Hevel, and you're just going to die but enjoy life, eat, drink, be merry. It's all meaningless anyway. Isn't this the greatest book in scripture ever? It actually is, I think. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 15 to 20. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. So this is coming from the richest, most successful person who lives at this time. And to this, 
And this too, he said, is a very serious problem. How many people would see it as a serious problem that everything you've compiled is actually meaningless? You can't take it with you in the ground. He says, people leave this world no better off than when they came. Hmm. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud. Listen to this. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. You don't see that in our world. The Bible's on to something here, isn't it? If this is what you're going to put all your worth in, this is what it will equal. Frustration, discourage, and anger. He says, even so, I've noticed one thing. At least that is good. It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their life, their their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them. But listen to what he says. And to accept their lot in life. And it's, good, it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and, the good, and good health to enjoy that wealth, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people, this is a great line, God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Now wait. Didn't he in chapter 3 say that our lot in life is to work and we should find joy in our work? And then here he's saying that our work just leads us to nothing, that it's hevel. He says when we put all our hope for joy into our work, we just end up frustrated, discouraged, and angry. But, But then he says, and I love this, It's good to eat. It's good to to drink and enjoy your work under the sun that we need to accept our lot in life because our lot in life is what is the gift from God. Doesn't this seem weird? Let's jump over to chapter eight. Chapter eight, verses 14 to 15 says, and this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This, he says, is Hevel. So I recommend having fun. I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat and drink and enjoy life. That way, they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. So we're back to Hevel, Hevel, Hevel. Just have fun. Eat, drink, enjoy life. Let's jump to chapter 9, verses 3 to 4. It seems so wrong, he says, that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. What fate is that? Death. Death. Already twisted by evil, that's important theologically, that we are already twisted by evil, that actually most of our way of thinking is rooted in sinfulness. He says, already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course for they have no hope. 
<laughs> this is something ahead, but death. Yeah, there is some. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Jeez, like now he's back to life just leads us to death. So what hope do we possibly have in this meaningless life? Well, let's jump over to chapter nine. Chapter nine, verses seven to nine. He says, so go ahead. Eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Actually, the, with a splash of cologne is actually kind of more, this is going to sound funny, but it's kind of like, you know, get, get like dress respectfully and put a little product in your hair. That, that's how you could literally translate what he's saying here. Right? Is like wear fine clothes, dress respectfully, put a little product in your hair or a little in your beard. He says, Live happily with the woman you love, though all through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Let's jump over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 7 to 10, he says, Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also, <laughs> but let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come, he says, is meaningless. Young people, now he's going to give young people advice here. It's wonderful to be young. That's worth an amen too, right? Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. My 16-year-old son would latch onto that verse, right? The Bible says, Dad, like, do everything that I want to do. Because it does. Take it all in. But remember, (laughs) here's the little caveat. You must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse, listen to what he says. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is hevel. Did you catch the pattern here? Hevel, 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 smoke, vapor, we're all going to die. So enjoy life. If you find a partner, great, enjoy that gift because dark days are coming. Wouldn't that, I did a wedding yesterday, Joel Easy's wedding, and can you imagine if I used that? Like, enjoy this marriage because now dark days are coming. But enjoy life and remember you'll have to give an account to God in how you chose to live this life. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like, what exactly is happening here? Well, let me, let me unpack that for you. Here's the first challenge that we have to get past, and this is really difficult for human beings to get their minds wrapped around this. Often, most of us need to see things as one or the other. We're kind of like black and white thinkers, right? 
Like it's either heaven and meaningless or it has meaning. It can't be both. It's one or the other. We think it's all meaningless and so then we mope around with a pessimistic view of life or we live with kind of starry-eyed optimism believing that God is going to make our wildest dreams come true. Like no one, no one actually says either of those things, but often it's very visible in how we go about living our lives. It's kind of this or it's that. And then what happens, Ecclesiastes says, is we end up disappointed when God doesn't underwrite our dreams. Some people actually like get mad at God, right? Like I prayed for these things. You promised that you would give me everything I prayed for. And like life just isn't going the way I planned for it to go. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher is saying that this is not an either-or conversation. You need to eliminate that way of thinking from your life. Now, now many of us would see life's failures and disappointments as obstacles in our way to a life full of joy and fulfillment. Like, how many people are like, I failed at that. It was amazing. Right? How many people are like, you know, I failed at that. I'm so disappointed. But actually, it was amazing. God is giving me everything I ever dreamt of. See, most of us see these failures and these obstacles in life as a, a, a blockage, a wall from us finding true joy and fulfillment. But the teacher in Ecclesiastes turns that way of thinking right on its head. He says that it's life's failures and disappointments that are actually the key to embracing a life of true joy here under the sun. We see failures as obstacles. The teacher in Ecclesiastes sees life's failures as the opportunity to embrace true joy. It's kind of like the irony to life. You see, the teacher there's, there's this real irony. He says, we have an idea of how we think life ought to go, don't we? We sort of have all these preconceived ideas of how we think something's supposed to be. And then things happen in life that you can't control, and we don't know what to do with that. Sometimes it's something serious, like a tragedy, or something more silly, like being embarrassed and trying to remember when you were a teenager and you used to like try to like you know do a fancy skateboard trick in front of the pretty girl and then you wipe flat out onto your face in front of her and you're kind of embarrassed it's like a big fail because I was trying to be cool you're like I, I had this big plan I knew how this was gonna go but your plan leads to a failure that you couldn't quite control and we view this as human beings as obstacles to finding joy in our life because we need everything to go as we planned it in order to be happy. The teacher in Ecclesiastes would literally laugh at that way of thinking because he would say that this moment of failure could actually be the best thing that has ever happened to you. That disappointment and failure can actually do two things in life. Disappointment and failure, he says, strips us of the illusion that we are actually in control of the outcome. 
It strips us of the illusion that we are the ones that are making things happen. You see, to the teacher in Ecclesiastes, the sooner this is stripped away in your life, the better. Because living under this false pretense of being in control is what he says leads us to disappointment, anger, and frustration. Read chapter 5. Because the more we try to control all the aspects of our lives, the more we become obsessively focused on being in control and we miss the moment of joy in our day that was given to us from God. If life is about constantly vying for control, more control, I need to control the outcome of all things in my life in order to find joy, then things have to be how I want them and we miss it. We miss the joy that God gives because of our obsession with control. Now, the teacher also tells us that we need to be stripped of the illusion that if we can achieve control, that the outcome in our lives will bring us true joy and peace. And so if we can control everything, then once I have control, I can find rest and I can find peace. You hear this all the time, right? As soon as I get to this place in life, then I'll find rest and I'll find peace. As soon as I'm able to achieve this promotion at work, then I'll find rest and I'll find peace. But until then, I just need to keep pressing on. I need to keep trying to control every outcome that's nothing but hevel under the sun. Folks, the teacher is deconstructing this way of living because he sees these little moments of joy in life, like a meal or a drink with friends, as much more important than us controlling every outcome. He sees these simple things as merely a pointer to some greater future joy, to a degree that we could never imagine or ever experience. You ever heard the Bible talking that way? That there's this peace and contentment and joy that you can experience here on earth, right here, right now? How come we can't get it? Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 16, right? And this too is a very serious problem. He's talking about not being able to take riches. People leave this world no better off than the way they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Work is what we do most of the time, isn't it? It's often what we build our identities in. And to the teacher, work is both rewarding and troublesome. Now, we're going to get much deeper into that as this series progresses. He says it depends, actually, on how you approach work. If we approach work in which, a sense of the, in which that we need a sense of control, then work is going to be nothing but challenging and we will leave the world no better off than it was. It's hevel. You're making work hevel by needing to control work's outcome. Because we have these perceived goals and outcomes that we want from our work. And, and, and when something goes wrong with our perceived goals, we lose purpose and we end up frustrated and angry and depressed. It's like we're chasing after the wind because we want to control the outcome. Many of us find work to be stressful. How many people is that? Many of us find work to be stressful. Well, that's because we want to control the outcome, folks. But the teacher calls us to find satisfaction in our work. 
So when we want to control the outcome, there's kind of two ways to live life. When we want to control the outcome, we end up satisfied if the outcome is how we want it. But if it isn't, we see this as failure and we continue to try to control things and we end up miserable. Ecclesiastes is teaching us that if you're a person who wants to control all the outcomes, then this is your outcome. Stress, anxiety, frustration, and anger with life. And as you'll see as we teach through this book, he's tried it all. So it's not like he's like, philosophizing all of this. He's literally lived all of this. But if your starting point is different, if your starting point is to approach life by releasing control to something or someone bigger than you, then you'll start to notice that the outcomes don't matter as much. You start to notice the smaller things in life and you find joy in these things. You can find the humor in the good And in the bad, it's kind of like the Apostle Paul, right? I've found contentment. It's a secret that I've found. When my stomach's full, I'm content. When my stomach's empty, I'm still content. He's not so worried about the outcome. Now, the teacher wants you to work hard, but he wants you to also understand that your work is hevel. It will pass. It's temporary. So let go of control and enjoy the little things in this life. He says, eat, drink, feast, Enjoy your life. When you let go of control and start to notice the more simple things in life, then you'll find joy in your work and you'll learn that you being in control is actually a myth. It's not a reality. For some of us, this might be super disturbing. And for others, it's incredibly freeing. But what we need to grasp about the book of Ecclesiastes is that it clearly, the teacher believes that God is the one who is in control, not us. That our need for control is exactly why we're so darn miserable. So he says, let go. Eat, drink, enjoy these moments with friends and family. Don't miss it by trying to control the outcome of everything because your controlled outcome, it dies with you. It changes nothing. No one cares how much you were able to control. Could you see that funeral? Oh, how Doug was in such control. Did you notice at work how he was able to control this situation? Did you notice, like, in this part of his family, how he was able to control his teenage sons? We know that's a myth. So why do we value control so much when it's like chasing the wind, the author says? But there are things that matter, and they're things given to us as a gift from God. And as I've been studying this book, it's been taking me to task in a lot of things because we're going to keep this a secret, right? I am an outcome-based person. I like to get results. And when I'm not getting results, I like to try to create the results that I want to get. Like when I get up here, and I teach you scripture. This has been revolutionary for me, folks. This, this has been incredibly freeing for me. 
So I'm going to be totally transparent. Don't take it offensive or do whatever because I'll just ignore the email because I'm free. Like when I get up and I teach you scripture, it's my dream that the outcome would be that you would dig in with me and that you would get closer to God and that you would embrace the transformative process that he wants you to go through. And when I don't see this happening, I think to myself, oh, I need to find a new angle. I need to get more creative. We need to start this program. We need to do this. We need to do that. And I find a new way to communicate the same thing I've been trying to communicate to you for seven years, the good news of Jesus Christ. We just try a different angle. That's all I'm doing every week, eh? Is telling you the same story over and over and over and over and over and over again, just going, please, somebody listen. And then I think to myself, okay, the best way that I'll get everybody to listen, I'll just study harder. I'll get a second doctorate. Like, why not, right? Study harder, work harder. That's going to give me the outcome that I need because my outcome is that I just want you to grow in Christ. But what does it actually cause? I see this all the time in pastors in ministry. You actually just become bitter at the same people that you wish the best for because you're not getting the outcome that you think it should be. And then you just end up quitting or being called away by God, right? We, we really spiritualize it. Because after all, like no one is actually listening. So what's the point? It's Hevel. But what I've learned is that God has actually given me a gift and I'm, I'm just using myself as an example because I can't use, like, this is my career, this is who I am. God has given me a gift. The gift of getting to know him more and more each day. Like, I actually get paid to study scripture, to pray, to spend time with Jesus, and that is an incredible gift. So what Ecclesiastes says is that I should work hard at it that I should do my due diligence, that I should study and I should pre pre prepare so that I can present the gospel to you so that I can teach you the scripture. But it also says what you do with it is your problem, not mine. And see, that's what we often take on as human beings, right? We want the outcome to be what we want it to be. I can teach you the scriptures, but I can't make you respond to the scriptures. I'm not in control of that. I can't make you listen. I can't make you embrace God's deepness or depth that he wants in your life. All I can do is work hard and trust that who will do the work. God, the Holy Spirit living in each of you who profess belief in Jesus. I can't control your view of the church. I can't convince you that gathering together on a Sunday actually matters. All I can do is work hard for the Lord because he is the one that's in control. So after service today, you know what I'm doing? I'm actually going on holidays. But you know what I'm doing today? I'm going to feast I'm going to leave here and I'm going to feast with family. And so I've laid the scriptures at your feet. What you do with it is between you and Jesus. 
I am going to feast because that's where I'll find my joy, Ecclesiastes says, in the moments, the little moments of life, not in what I'm trying to control. I have to give the outcomes to God because according to the teacher, this is going to make my time of eating and drinking all that much more joyful. I'll find joy in life because I'm not obsessed with control. Because our need for control causes us to miss the joys of life. Eat, drink, and enjoy life is what the teacher says. Now that brings me to this final point, and this is biblically important, and I want you to catch the imagery that's happening here. It's an important concept in scripture from cover to cover. The concept of feasting. You ever notice that? The way that Ecclesiastes is using the eat, drink, be happy, like feast, feast, feast. For a chubby guy, this is heaven to my ears. It's one of the most common biblical motifs or themes from cover to cover to describe what human beings are actually made for. You see, when you eat and drink, it's your acknowledgement. I want you to hear this. This is really important. Tony, you're going to love this because you're a farmer. You eat and you drink. It's your acknowledgement of your dependence on something else and on someone else. Because when it comes to food and it comes to wine, you didn't produce it yourself. Someone else did. And, and hear me now. Even the farmer who produced your food, because that's where it all begins, whether they're raising animals who are eating food from the fields or whether they're feeding you food from the fields, it doesn't matter. Even the farmer who produces the food had to rely on God to produce the climate to grow the food in the first place. It's the one thing that we can't control. We try to, right? We, like we put fertilizer, we do all these different things. That's fine. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, how many people here can decide if it's going to rain today or if we're going to have a drought? You see, eating, every time we eat, we're announcing our dependence on others and our dependence on God. This is why the Bible uses eating with others as imagery of how our life is to be lived. Feasting is what God and humans were doing in the garden. So I'm going to trace this very quickly through the Bible for you. It's what God and humans were doing in the garden. They were feasting. We could argue about whether there was meat or whether they were vegetarians, but the reality is that they were feasting, and they were in perfect harmony with God. Feasting is also the image in the Old Testament for how Israel was to enjoy the promised land. Have you ever looked at all of their festivals and their celebrations of God providing and celebrating God's presence? It always involves a feast. Every seven days, the Bible says, we're supposed to have a big feast and rest from our labor. Feasting, folks, is what Jesus did with all the wrong people, according to the religious folks. You see it all the time in the New Testament where Jesus would recline with others, it says, and have a feast. And then the religious people were like, you're reclining with tax collectors. How could you possibly do that? It's because feasting 
had meaning. That's why they were so bothered by it. Eating and drinking announces that God's kingdom has come in Jesus. Feasting is the last moment in the story of Revelation as heaven and earth come together. So the teacher uses this imagery to tell us something, to help us get our priorities straight and to not live our lives under an illusion. Because what happens after you eat? Track with me. You start out hungry, right? And then you become satisfied. It's not permanent, but when you eat, you pause, you rest, and then you feel satisfied. You feel fulfilled. I'm full. You see, feasting in the scriptures is literally the image of shalom and well-being. So to the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he sees feasting as a forward-moving symbol to what he says in the last words of the book. So I'm going to give you the end before we teach you the middle. Life is about fearing God. Because he is the one who's holding us accountable. Remember, we got to give an account to how we went about living life. And that he will bring justice and he'll set all the wrongs in our world right by restoring the world. That's the story of the Bible, folks. When we eat and drink, it gives us a moment of satisfaction that reminds us that all the moments of life are just a breadcrumb that's leading us to the great wedding feast where the reuniting of heaven and earth happen. The teacher is giving us some amazing wisdom about life in this book. And the wisdom comes from him learning the hard way. Everything you want to achieve, he's going to tell you, I already achieved that. He's the richest person on the planet. He's the wisest person on the planet. He's the greatest king to ever live in Jerusalem. There's nothing we can do that he hasn't done. And as we're going to see over the coming weeks, he tried all of this to find contentment and it never led him there. Just like we do, he says, I chased it after money, pleasure, political power, Yet the only time he says that he can find true happiness is when he gives up control, takes a step back from life to enjoy the little things that God has blessed him with. To eat and drink and notice the joy that God gives us as we make the best of each day by giving up our sinful need to control every outcome. This is the gift that God has given us, the gift of God's sovereignty. And he shows it to us through food. And he provides for us each and every day. Think of the story of manna. Often we miss this because we're so busy trying to control the outcome. But God's calling us to live our lives under two simple instructions. 
Here's the end of the book. It all chalks up to this. Fear God and live the commandments as you live your life under the sun. Everything else the teacher says is hevel. Nothing but chasing the wind. Worship team can join me. So as we go today, may you not miss the little things in life that truly matter. May you not miss the satisfaction of God providing, of God being the one who controls the universe instead of us. Folks, the book of Ecclesiastes is calling us to let go and to let Jesus be Lord. So eat, drink, and remember just how big our God truly is.